0: Let me draw your attention to several scriptures very briefly. The first one you will find in Job in the Old Testament, chapter 14. Job chapter 14. The next one you will find in James chapter 3. And the third one you will find in 1 John chapter 4. So beginning at Job chapter 14. Verse 4. Simple question. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Then James chapter 3 in the New Testament. And verses 11 and 12. James chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place Sweet water and bitter. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. And then finally, First John chapter 4, verse 1. The apostle writes, Beloved, believe not every spirit... But try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Many believers today will agree with me when I say that the greatest need in our nation today is revival. It has been said that if we do not have revival in our day, we are only one generation away from total paganism. Others have stated, either we will have revival or we will have judgment. There's going to be no spiritual heritage to leave future generations if we do not have the presence and the power of God to visit us in revival. But there are some difficulties when you talk about revival. There are things that hinder Christians from earnestly seeking for revival even today. The first one of those is that the meaning of revival has been distorted. The word itself has been emasculated by many. And the second problem is that many lack faith or belief that God will ever send revival. And there may be a variety of reasons for that, some of it eschatological And I know that's a big word. It has to do with the end times. And sometimes a person's view of prophecy will affect their view of revival. Now we're living in a nation which has not seen what we know as a true revival for a long time. It's been over a hundred years at least. So the preachers that are in the pulpits today and Christians in the pews, largely have never experienced true revival. We're living in a day which is a bit like that, that we read of in Judges 2 verse 10. There arose another generation which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Many people have not, other than reading in history books, known anything of what revival means. A man who was instrumental in both my wife and myself ending up ministering in Scotland was a dear saint called James Alexander Stewart. Dr. Stewart, I believe, experienced revival. uh, Certainly in countries behind what was the Iron Curtain at the time. Dr. Stewart wrote, The tragedy in the history of the pilgrim church on earth is that generation after generation has lived and died without even a faint glimpse of that splendor which shines through during such times of refreshing. He went on, One feels that just here it is necessary to rediscover the true meaning of the word revival. The word has been so used with varying connotations that it has lost its original meaning. That which the average child of God calls revival is not revival at all in the scriptural sense of the word. So we must think about what revival is not as well as what it is. And I can tell you that revival is not an extended meeting. It's not an extended series of meetings either. It has become common practice, even in this country, to refer to annual protracted meetings as a revival time. And the revival is announced in advance, it's scheduled for the same period of time every year in the church calendar. And people will be praying, especially the preacher, Lord bless our upcoming revival. It's a misuse of the word. Again, to quote Dr. Stewart, actually today any series of meetings is termed revival. But I plead with my brethren to rescue this sacred word for use in its original meaning. Because if revival is the need of the hour, then we must agree on what revival is. It's not just an extended meeting. Nor is it an emotional experience. It's not just a time of excitement. To many, the term revival refers to a meeting where emotions are running high and there's a lot of excitement and there's people running about, jumping about, displaying some unusual physical manifestations and activities. Now there have been some excesses attached to times of true revival. I won't get into that today, but church history shows us this. I think it's important for us to note that whenever God is working, the devil is always not too far away. Revival is not an emotional extravaganza. It's not a time of great excitement where there is a display of an orgy of emotion. Nor is revival, I might add, an evangelistic crusade or an evangelistic mission. There are churches as well. In some particular communions, they're very fond of talking about having a revival. And what they mean is, an evangelistic effort in the community to try to reach the unconverted. We're talking about evangelism. Evangelism is not revival. Evangelism is something that the church does for the Lord, but revival is something that God must do for the church. That's what revival is. And I do believe that where revival comes, there will be evangelism. A lot of it. People will be converted when revival comes. But describing an evangelistic mission as a revival is a misuse of the term. Revival, men and women, it's more than a special meeting or series of meetings. It's more than religious excitement. It's more than an in-gathering of precious souls. A lot of those may accompany times of revival, but those, these do not define it. They can occur without revival. So if we know what revival is not, can we ask what is revival? What is revival? I suppose you could say it depends who you ask, what answer you will receive, particularly in the day in which we live. But there's a biblical view to be seen. I haven't time today to go into all of the scriptures that deal with reviving or revival But certainly the Old Testament concept of revival is found in the varying forms of the Hebrew root word hayah, which means to live. The meaning of the word when it's translated revive is in a sense recovery or restoration. Sometimes the Hebrew word is translated quicken, but it still has the connotation of revive or restore or refresh. You'll find the word, by the way, Hayah, at least eleven times in Psalm one hundred and nineteen and it is translated quicken in reference to personal revival. For example, when the psalmist talks about thy word has quickened me or if he's asking the Lord, quicken me, O Lord. That's revival. You'll see revivals under Samuel Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, Hezekiah, Josiah, and others in the Old Testament. And of course, there's revival in the New Testament. You'll not see the word revival, but you will see Peter, for example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 18, quoting from the prophet Joel, which by the way is often quoted today in relation to things that happen in the churches today, In the last days I will pour out of my spirit and young men will dream dreams and so on. Old men shall have visions. But when Peter was preaching, he told the people at Pentecost, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is it. This is the fulfillment of it. And of course the church was filled with the Holy Ghost. There was an outpouring of the Spirit, Acts chapter 2. And evangelism followed in the train of that. And there was a tremendous harvest of souls. Thousands were converted. And there is a sense in which the period known as the Age of the Spirit began with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it will continue until he comes again. These are the last days. Someone wrote, Ian Murray, it was actually a great revival writer. While Pentecost instituted a new era, the work of Christ in bestowing the Spirit did not end then. And the fuller communication of the Spirit, which marks the whole age of the last days, began at Pentecost, was not to be constant and unvarying, for were it so, what purpose could be served by praying for more of the Spirit of God as the disciples are clearly directed to do? There is revival in the biblical view. There's also an historical view. Again, we don't have time today to examine church history. Perhaps we will do that in coming messages. But there's no doubt, as one man has written, historically, revival is divine intervention in the normal course of spiritual things. Revival is God revealing Himself to man in awful holiness and irresistible power. Revival is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs are abandoned. Revival is man retiring into the background because God has taken the field. It is the Lord making bare His holy arm and working in extraordinary power on saint And sinner. And that's what revival has meant to God's people historically. So we should not, as one person said, be settling for any cheap counterfeit. There's a practical view of revival. When revival comes, what happens? Well, the declension that there is in the church among Christians is reversed. See, whenever the church is living as it should, if I could put it that way, there wouldn't be any need for revival. Revival is when things have waned. When things have gone down. It's not that the church is dead. It's comatose. It's when the church slips backward. When it loses its first love and its zeal and its strength in laboring for Christ that it needs revival. If I quote dear old Dr. Stewart again, he said, the term revival presupposes a deterioration and declension, a falling away, a slackening of the reins. A church that needs to be revived is a church that's living below the norm of the New Testament pattern. That could be argued one way or another. Because revival, by its very definition, is an extraordinary time when God visits. I don't believe it's right to say that the church should always be living in revival. Because I think the term revival would lose its significance. But we're living in a day of tremendous declension, aren't we? There's dead orthodoxy on one hand. People are sound, but as my pastor used to say, they're sound asleep. On the other hand, you have those who are involved in rank heresy, such as the charismatic movement and the cults and various isms. We have a Jesus being preached who's foreign to Scripture. A Jesus who's good for your marriage. A Jesus who's good for your job prospects. A Jesus who will help you with your emotions, with depression, and with feelings of self-worth that have gone down. That's the kind of Jesus that's preached by many. The feel-good Jesus. Come to Jesus and you'll have prosperity in your life. You'll make more money. You'll have a better marriage. You'll have a better this, a better that, and a better other thing. That's not the gospel, men and women. That is not the gospel. And furthermore, many of the saints of God in the past, if that were true, they would have been in real trouble, wouldn't they? For Job didn't enjoy very good health. He lost his family in death. His wife turned against him. His friends turned against him. We would say today, Job was a mess in his personal life. But he a man who was in touch with God, who could say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. We think of others in Scripture. They had a hard time. Timothy had a bad stomach. Paul told him to drink or to use a little wine for his stomach's sake I said to someone the other day why did Paul not heal him healing is always something you're supposed to have why did Paul not heal him why did Paul leave Trophimus at Miletum sick why did he not heal him because healing didn't always happen in the Bible didn't always happen these people who tell you it's the will of God for you always to be healed then you'd never die would you I wouldn't be needing these things here. And if you're deaf, you wouldn't need a hearing aid. People do talk such nonsense, don't they? We've got a church largely today that is preaching a message that has to do with outward things. Feeling better. People go to services and come away saying, Oh, I was really blessed. I oh, was so blessed. Were you? How were you blessed? Well, I, I, I don't know. It felt good. Do you have a greater love for the Bible now? Are you spending more time poring over Scripture as a result of that blessing? Do you spend more time in prayer? Have you got more desire for the prayer meeting and for the house of God? Have you more desire to witness to people about Christ? Those are the tests of whether you were blessed or not. It's not a feeling. But we're living in a day when excitement, carnal excitement and entertainment is where it's at. Look at the signs on churches. What is the appeal? This is the church for you. I I was driving past a place in Phoenix on my recent visit there. This is the place for you. I thought, what is it, a Walmart? How do they know this is the place for you? You could be like a square peg in a round hole in that place. But they use all sorts of appeals. There's this here. We have this in this church. We offer this with this program. with that program. We've got this for the young people. We've got this for somebody else. It's a smorgasbord here. Come and find all manner of things that will suit you. If you like the old services with old hymns, well, we've got the old fogies that meet at 8.30 on Sunday morning. But then you can come to the real service. Oh, it's the exciting one. The rock band is up there. The people crooning into their microphones and swaying back and forth to people looking at them become seasick. This is a kind of garbage that many people today in America and elsewhere are feeding on. And so we think about revival. Should we expect, should we hope for, should we pray for revival in our day? Yes, indeed we should. But we should also be prepared to examine anything that purports to be revival. And that brings me to my subject. Recently at a chapel service at Asbury University, there was that which has resulted in what people are now calling a revival. I'm sure you've heard about it. It's all over the media now. It's all over social media. Many pastors and church leaders have been very quick to call it a revival. Those who have dismissed it on first viewing have been condemned as being revival sceptics, naysayers, quenching the spirit. The fact of the matter is that even in any true move of God, it takes time to establish if what has taken place has been an actual fact a revival or not. In some cases, it has taken years. Only God knows when a revival is taking place. Because there's only God who can send revival and it's only God who knows if a revival is really happening. I just want to nail my colors to the masthead right away here. I'm sure people will already have assumed where I stand on it. Anybody who knows me already knows what I think of this. And so I'll just flat out tell you, what's happening in Asbury University is not revival. It's not revival. You can take that to the bank. It is not revival. And there are so many reasons to be sceptical of what is happening there and on other campuses in this country. Number one, let's think about the foundation of it all. This is an important point. That's why I read the scriptures that I did and we'll come to that in a moment. The foundation of this so-called revival, for me, the very location is suspect. My antenna, spiritually, was up right away when I heard where it was. Asbury College in Kentucky, it's a holiness, so-called holiness school. And it has a long history of claims to revivals over the past century, in the early 19. 19- or the the early 20th century, and right up through the 20th century, and even into the 21st century, as as recent as 2006. They have claimed to have had revivals. There's actually a documentary you can see on YouTube that has been made of the 1970 so-called Asbury Revival. Do you know that at present, that school, Asbury College, has opportunities on its website for student ministry abroad listed there, including working at a Seventh-day Adventist church, working at a Roman Catholic church in Europe, and working at three Hillsong churches. If you don't know what Hillsong is, just don't bother with it. At least one Roman Catholic priest has spoken at Asbury's Chapel Services. Hardly the environment for God to send revival, is it? The fountain head, when it's poisoned, is going to have a stream that's flowing from it that's not going to be pure. That's a biblical principle. Now look at the text that we looked at this morning just for a few minutes. First of all, in Job 14 verse four. What does it say? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one? There's a principle. That which is unclean is not going to produce that which is clean. Look at the verses in Matthew 7. This was our Bible reading this morning. The Lord is giving a warning here about false prophets. Get your spiritual antennas up. Beware of false prophets, verse 15, which come to you in sheep's clothing. See, they don't come saying, hey, look at me, I'm a wolf. No, no, no. They come saying, look, look at me, I'm a sheep. But what they're doing is wearing the sheepskin and underneath, it's a wolf. That's what the Lord says. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They're pretending to be something that they're not. But he says, you shall know them by their fruits. And then he says this, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Well, you know the answer to that rhetorical question. And here's the principle, even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Think about that. A corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. And then verse 18, here's the principle. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Are you going to get good fruit from an evil tree? No. Jesus said, a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. So then let's look at James chapter 3. And there you have the very mention of a fountain, don't you? James 3, verse 11. A question. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Well, you know that's a rhetorical question, contains its own answer. Of course it doesn't. It's either sweet or it's bitter. Then he says, Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, Can uh, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt, water and fresh. So look at the fountain. Look at the fountain head you're going to find out then what's in the stream. And so because of this, we look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. And it's a clear command. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Don't be so gullible as to just accept everything that's being said about anything. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So how do you try the spirits? Lick your finger and see what way the wind is blowing? Of course not. Here's how you try the spirits. God's Word. That's how you try the spirits. That's how you examine anything. If they speak not according to this Word, it's because there's no light in them. We're taught in Scripture to use discernment. Now one preacher suggested that the greatest reason for scepticism in the Asbury situation is the very desire to immediately label it a revival by many. Instead of referring to it as an unusual chapel service that resulted in some conviction of sin and a desire to worship by those students attending, it was immediately termed a revival by many people and those who expressed scepticism were immediately accused of quenching the Spirit. But there are reasons for scepticism. It's right to be sceptical of the fact that it did not occur in a Bible-preaching church or assembly. The Lord has promised to build His church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know historically, God has, in revival... Used mostly God ordained preachers of the word, even student ministers such as John Livingston of Scotland. Gospel ministers have been to the fore in most true revivals. One evangelical missionary wrote on a blog the other day The fact that it was not held in the church means that it is downright impossible to protect the sheep from false teaching. There are no elders. There's no church organization. There's no philosophical or doctrinal statement to protect the people from these charlatans. And the charlatans, he said, are coming. And they're excited about what's going on. Which means that the gospel isn't preached. Repentance is not proclaimed. And false teaching, furthermore, is not rebuked. There are no elders that are going to be held accountable for the souls of those that are present. There's no authority to speak of. It's a free for all, from what I've seen. Any speaking that's taking place is very much extemporary. It's off-the-cuff contributions from men and mostly women who feel led to say something in the midst of CCM music, if you could call it that. You can go to the Internet, if you're so minded, and listen to that first message, as I have done, In that first chapel service. It was so superficial and trite. I can tell you right now the gospel was not preached in that message in any meaningful way. It was all about love. interspersed and intermingled with jokes and off the cuff comments that produced laughter among the students. I didn't hear anything in that message that would produce conviction of sin or cause me to think about the work of Christ. It was not the type of sermon that has produced revivals historically, such as the message by John Livingston at the Kirk of Shotts in 1629, or the revivals under Whitfield and Wesley. It was incredibly silly, actually, at times. Silly. Certainly was not an exposition of the text that he said he was going to use in Romans chapter 12. He just read a passage... Told a bunch of stories. Talked about his preferences for tacos. And asked questions. The gospel was not preached. Christ was briefly mentioned in the conclusion. But it was pretty much this you can't love yourself, so stop trying and just let Christ do it. That was it. No mention of sin. No mention of the cross of Christ. No mention of repentance. I could go on and say more about the foundation of this. But I do want to talk about another reason for scepticism for the so-called Asbury revival. And it's the features of it. The foundation of it is flawed. The features of it. What are the features of it? Well, it's clear that people of every stripe and hue, theologically, have been making their way to Asbury College. Many of them, I would say most of them, from churches already given over to this kind of CCM worship. That's how they know these silly ditties and songs. They all know them. Because they're singing them in their own victory chapels and whatever Pentecostal name their church has. We can refer to the worshippers. I have difficulty using that term all of them, but let's call them worshippers. Who are those involved? Well, the whole thing obviously involves students of the school to begin with. And folks, my heart goes out to them. No one would love more than me to see hundreds and thousands of young people truly seeking after the Christ of the Bible. Turning from their sins. Living for God. Giving testimony of what the Lord has done for their souls. What a joy that would be. But these students that are there, and others have come to join them, we certainly have a right to be sceptical of the kinds of people that seem to be attracted to the Asbury event. You may have heard of Todd Bentley. Have you heard of Todd Bentley? Sadly, I have heard of Todd Bentley. He's one of those excited about what's going on at the campus. Todd Bentley hates the God of the Bible. Others have arrived there who are mainly from the Pentecostal charismatic orbit. Some of the nonsense I've heard on the internet on testimonies of people standing in line would make your hair curl if you have any. One character from Chicago said he hoped that this would be another Azusa street in the making. Well, if you know anything about history, you'll know that was not a good thing. There's some people on social media platforms talking about this as a fulfillment of a prophetic vision that they had in 2001 around the time of 9-11. There's a character called Dutch Streets. When I first saw it, I thought it was some documentary about Holland. Then I realized it's a person. Dutch Streets is a heretic. But he's taking great delight in the fact that God gave him, him, a vision in 2001 and this is the fulfilment of it and it's going to start a great revival right across America and indeed probably across the world the worshippers I just learned last night that there are many who have been going there from the Roman Catholic Church including priests coming away from there speaking positively of everything that they've seen wishing for the same thing to happen in their own church The worshippers, that's a feature of it that causes scepticism. How about the worship? A lot of the so-called worship itself would make any reasonable Christian very sceptical that the Holy Spirit is anywhere near it. CCM songs dominate. Some that are very rocked up with people dancing and clapping. Someone said to me about one of those, it looked like an aerobics class. That's exactly what it looked like. The people talk about the Holy Spirit. And conviction. And prayer. People dancing and jumping about as we used to say back in Ireland like banshees. People dancing and clapping and cheering others singing repetitive songs, droning on for many minutes at a time. I happened to take the time the other night to listen to one song and just counted the number of times they sang it. It wasn't a Seven Eleven song. Those are like seven different songs they sing 11 times each. This was worse than that. This one was a song that only had one line as, a, as the lyric. One line. Here it is. Open the floodgates of heaven, let it rain, let it rain. You know how many times they sang it? 25 times over. Very slowly. As we would say, and also it was doing my head in, by the time I heard the 25th rendering of that. It was like hypnosis. By the way, I was reading an account the other day of the Toronto blessing of the 1990s, and similar features were common then. Someone wrote, the songs were about worshipping the Lord, but the music and the behaviour seemed to be opposed to the Lord's honour. During the singing, the crowd was progressively aroused. In all, only about four different songs were used, but each was repeated over and over. The chorus of the first song being sung 30 times. So there you go. People are seen swaying back and forth with raised arms. Relatively few knelt at the front, presumably praying at what they're calling an altar. There is no meaningful preaching of the Bible in the accepted sense. No exposition of the doctrines of God's word. In fact, someone who is pro-LGBTQ was commenting on the event and saying, it is not preaching oriented and that's a good thing. raucous applause and cheering breaks out periodically, especially after certain musical offerings. I can tell you, folks, the entire atmosphere is lighthearted and casual. People milling about, looking at their phones in and out, back and forth, in and out of the auditoriums. It's a make-it-up-as-you-go-along affair. And everything that I have seen and heard thus far bears no relation... Whatsoever to anything that I've read of true revivals and awakenings in the past. A lot of the worship sessions are led by women in tight jeans. They not look like Christians to me. Sorry. Even more serious than that, there are reports verified of folks who profess to be LGBTQ leading, leading in some of the worship. Those things should raise red flags for any Bible believer who might be tempted to imagine that this is in any sense a spiritual revival. I'm grieved at some who should know better. Speaking about this event in terms of, well, let's just wait and see. Maybe it's a move of the Spirit. And in fact, I'd like to jump in the car and drive up there myself and see what's going on. And maybe somebody from my church here could come and bring it back here. I want to tell you something, folks. I'll not be wanting anybody from my church to go and bring that garbage back to my church. Under any circumstances. The features of it. How about the fruit of it? Well, there's much of that that's yet to be seen. Of course. But I've seen enough and others have seen enough already to tell me that the whole thing is a colossal fraud and a sham. If it's supposed to be a move of the Spirit in revival someone said to me the other day well look at the crowds I said well go to Las Vegas and look at the crowds go to the casinos in Atlantic City and look at the crowds a crowd doesn't mean anything people find out about things on social media especially young people who want to be with other young people they'll go there that's how it works a crowd draws a crowd Can I tell you this? The Asbury School itself is already under pressure to accept the assertions of many people that they are quote-unquote gay Christians. Even those who say they are celibate gays and lesbians, but they identify as same-sex attracted. And there's clear evidence already, already on the internet, they're posting things on Facebook and other social media platforms LGBTQ sympathisers and activists that are among the student body and they're leading some of the worship sessions. They've boasted about it on social media. And I'll predict now that false ecumenism will be furthered by what's happening in Kentucky. Well, how do you know that? Because the Roman Catholic Church is already speaking in favour of what's happening in Asbury. I have an article here From the Detroit Catholic. From February 17th. February 17th. Wasn't that Friday? Just the other day, Thursday, Friday. It's almost like a wellspring. By the way, the article is entitled, Jesus was right next to me. Asbury revival sets Catholics on fire with Holy Spirit. That's the heading. It's almost like a wellspring, said Father Norman Fisher, pastor of St. Peter Claver Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and chaplain at Lexington Catholic High School. You just know right away that God is there. And when he says that, I know right away that he's not there. Since February 8th, a routine morning chapel gathering at Asbury University, a Christian liberal arts university located in Wilmore, Kentucky, has blossomed into a round-the-clock session of prayer, praise, worship and testimonials. The school, rooted in the Methodist faith, includes chapel attendance as part of its curriculum. The February 8th service, which Asbury President Kevin Brown described to media as unremarkable, was capped by a multicultural gospel choir, but rather than head to class afterwards... Students stayed and continued to worship, having been gripped by a quiet but powerful sense of transcendence, according to Thomas McCall, professor at the adjacent Asbury Theological Seminary. Video clips have gone viral, hundreds from near and far streaming to the campus to join the gathering, which has alternately been dubbed a revival, an awakening, and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then there's a quotation from Kevin Brown on the school's website talking about the three additional campus chapels that have been set up for simulcasts of the worship and how that there's a dedicated email account that's been created for prayer requests people are coming from all over as far away as Hawaii, Mexico New Zealand, Indonesia, everywhere said Crystal Brody associate professor of English as a second language at Asbury She is an associate professor of English at Asbury School. Brody, a a Catholic. She teaches in that school. She said that the sight of students suddenly kneeling together, arm in arm, brought her to tears. She said there's nothing fancy, nothing loud, nothing boisterous. Well, I would take issue with that because I've seen videos to the contrary. But anyway, she's talking about Worship teams, members rotating throughout the night, many standing with arms raised in prayer, sitting or kneeling in contemplation, listening to spontaneous testimonies and exhortations. To see all these young people in reverent worship, quiet and giving God the glory made me so happy as a Catholic, as a mother and as a teacher, Brody told OSV News. Father, so-called Fisher, told OSV News he visited Asbury after celebrating Sunday Mass, February 12th. He just headed over there. And he saw several current and former lexicon Catholic high school students there. Kids that he knew from school. Catholic school. He says, hands were raised. People were singing. All were in one accord. And then he reminded everybody of Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together as one. See the ecumenical nature of this? Now folks, you know me. I hope. People say you're anti-Catholic. No, 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 no. I am anti-Catholicism. There is a tremendous difference. Some of my friends back home in Ireland I worked with and so on. Roman Catholics. Friends of mine. But I would not go to their chapels to worship I'm not going to worship a false religion along with them, my beef is not with regular folks, whether they be Protestant Catholic, Hindu, Muslim, whatever they are my beef is not with people it's with the system it's with that which teaches them false doctrine, if somebody is a a charlatan and not a true doctor and he's prescribing things to you that are going to kill you, I'm going to call that doctor out Because I love you so much that I don't want him to prescribe things that are harmful to you. That's how I feel about Romanism. I'm against it. With every fibre of my being, I'm against it. Because it is antithetical to the Christian gospel. But here, Rome is supporting this event. Father Fisher, by the way, said he got into praise mode and found himself filled with love. How sweet. He said this Asbury phenomenon is pure and definitely of God, definitely of the Holy Spirit. Now now what is, what's the criteria that you use to say something's of the Holy Spirit? How do you judge that? Just because you say it's the Holy Spirit, that means it's true. And of course he's talking about confessions. The fruits of the gathering are already apparent. Listen to this. The fruits of the gathering are already apparent, said Father Fisher, who has heard confessions and has offered healing prayers for some of the attendees, including one young man struggling with addiction, whom the priest said has since been able to maintain several days of sobriety. Come home to Rome via Asbury Revival. there are many other things that I could mention here, testimonies of other Roman Catholic folks one in particular said the singing made her feel as if Jesus was right next to her, really the gathering Reynolds said, this is one person Katie Reynolds, a volunteer youth coordinator at Pax Christi Catholic Church in Lexington she said the gathering was very organic with worship and prayer leaders seeking zero attention The Asbury Awakening, she said, is a call to all Christian faith communities, including the Catholic Church, to roll out the red carpet for young people, especially after the lingering sense of isolation from COVID-19 lockdowns, which stifled in-person youth ministry. Listen to this. Mike Allen, who's he? He's the Director of Family Life and Evangelisation for the Diocese of Lexington. He spent about an hour at Asbury on February 14th. He said people are hungry and longing for intimacy, community. Not longing for Christ. Not longing for repentance. They're longing for intimacy and community, oneness. Alan, a former Methodist pastor who along with his wife came into full communion with the Catholic Church attended Asbury Theological Seminary and said that the school's spiritual heritage included, quote, an openness to a warm interior experience of the faith and the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to speak of the fact that Catholic parishes in the area of Asbury are looking to see how they can cultivate the same thing, especially as the Catholic Church in the U.S. enters the second year of the National Eucharistic Revival, which will include the 10th National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis from July 21st to 24th next year. I don't think I really need to say anything more to prove to you that the fruit of this is not good. It will further the ecumenical agenda. You know that if Rome is for something like this it's not revival. When the chief outlet for reporting the events is the charismatic television channel the 700 Club of Pat Robertson Robertson, me, you know it's not a genuine revival. And of course God's people should be praying and seeking God for a genuine move of the Spirit in our land and in our churches. We should be praying for revival. But we can't make it happen. And folks, this is not it. This is not it. I'm afraid, this is my own view here. But I'm afraid that some have become so desperate to see revival. That they're beginning to entertain the thought that any sort of renewed interest in religion is a move of God. They're ready to label that a revival because it involves hundreds of thousands of people supposedly worshiping. I'm not going to conclude anything such as this. What I will say is that as I began, we have to remember that the term revival has been misused to represent many things which are not genuine revival. What we need to do as Bible Christians is to rediscover the meaning of the word. And to instruct God's people concerning what it is. That we might pray for another true outpouring of the Spirit of God. You know, we live in an area of this country that has seen revival. We could speak of the ministry of David Brainerd at the Forts of Delaware. What a powerful ministry that man had ministering to the Indians along the Delaware River. One time preaching to the Indians through a drunken interpreter. And many, many of them being converted to Christ. Not so very far away in Newark, New Jersey, was a man called Edward Dore Griffin who saw a mighty move of God not only there but also up in Massachusetts from where he hailed God has visited this place. Not so very far away from here is the site of the old log college at Neshamani. At Neshamani Creek, men who were known as the Flaming Tenants preached. They formed a college called the Log College because it was built of logs. It developed into the College of New Jersey which then became Princeton College. A centre of biblical excellence in this country at one time, becoming Princeton University, which sadly now is a bastion of unbelief and darkness. Folks, God has visited this place before. You go over to Princeton. You can go into the churchyard, the graveyard is not far from there. President Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, is buried in there. Other men of God are buried in there. There are plaques and all manner of things that you can see there dedicated to the memory of mighty preachers of the Word who saw genuine revival. Men like Alexander. Jonathan Edwards said, It may be observed from the fall of man to our day the work of redemption in its effect has mainly been carried on by remarkable pourings out of the Spirit of God though there be a more constant influence of God's Spirit always in some degree attending His ordinances yet the way in which the greatest things have been done in carrying on this work always has been by remarkable pourings out of the Spirit at special seasons of mercy And know folks that's what we need to see a special season of a visitation of God and you know when it comes you'll know it's revival You'll know it's revival by its fruits. And we have abundant encouragement in the promises of God's word. We have numerous examples in the past mighty acts of God to cause us, every one of us, to truly seek the Lord for genuine revival. Not to be discouraged by the falsehood. Not to be discouraged by the counterfeit but to realize that if we humble ourselves in prayer as believers of bygone years did who experienced revival perhaps God will send it to us it has to be accompanied by genuine repentance a desire for cleansing and biblical holiness it's not going to be a situation where people want others to affirm them in their sin when revival comes people turn from sin Unto the Christ of the Bible. May God graciously visit us with a mighty outpouring of His Spirit. Think of that promise in Isaiah 44, verses 3 and 4. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. Oh, may the Lord make us thirsty for Him. May the Lord make us thirsty for true revival. And may the Lord also give us courage to stand and to contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. May the Lord bless His word to all of our hearts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank Thee that Thou art the God of revival. Thou hast said in thy word through the prophet Habakkuk, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known, in wrath remember mercy. The psalmist could pray, wilt thou not revive us again? That thy people may rejoice in thee. O oh God, our hearts go out to many today who are deceived, led astray, carried away by fleshly emotion, mostly carried along on a stream of emotion that is driven by music. Or we think of one who commented the other day, "Take away the music and that whole thing will collapse." we believe it to be true Lord but we recognize that when God works nothing will stop it when God works it will have powerful effects visible effects upon lives, families communities, cities yea Lord even nations and so Lord we pray give us not over as a prey to our enemies Give us not over to false doctrine and false teaching and false practice and wickedness. But Lord, bring the people back to Thy Word. Bring us, Lord, back to Thy Word. Help us to stay by Thy Word and to obey it. And Lord, may we be diligent in the regular exercise of the means of grace. Because we know that, Lord... Some of these days could be the very day when God visits in power. Oh Lord, we remember instances of men who were just having their regular services. And something happened. And God came down and did a mighty work. Lord, wilt thou do this for us? Not for any aggrandizement of ourselves. We don't want people coming to see a show Lord, we want people to truly fall in love with Christ and to live for Him. Lord, hear our prayer today. And bless Thy Word. Anything that's been of the flesh, take it out of our minds. All that is of Thee, may we not forget. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.